Today on Sweating the Small Stuff, we explore how the movie 1917 and The Lord of the Rings are connected. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the science stories and misconceptions behind all the incredible things that we love. For today's episode, I, your host, Cameron Boozer-Jamari, am being joined yet again by the incredibly talented... Sam! Hi! Hey, so you actually more or less came up with this idea and brought this to me, and I was very excited to explore it. Why don't you give us a little idea of what we're going to talk about today? (laughs) All right, well, me and Cameron... Or Cameron and I, I guess I should say, we just got back from seeing 1917, the World War One flick, all shot in a single shot. It's literally amazing cinematic masterpiece. It is incredible how like you continue to lose yourself in the fact that this is one quote unquote continuous shot. Like if you yeah, like there were obviously some cuts in there. Yeah, if you pay attention, you can find moments where it's like, oh, that thing happens and someone probably snuck a cut in there. But it's incredible for two reasons. And one of them is obviously bigger than the other. That's what we're going to talk about today. So yeah, first off, it's <laughs> it's a beautiful movie. And to be clear, it's 1917, 1917, because I imagine I say 1970, it sounds like 1970 when I say it. Oh. <laughs> That's an amazing movie. And the thing you brought up and it was so amazing was the parallels, right? Yeah, I'm getting there. Okay. All right. So while we were watching this movie, I kept having moments of like, oh, this reminds me of Lord of the Rings. This reminds me of the fun Peter Jackson saga that, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. And the whole time I was thinking like, huh, all these similarities are coming up. And then it hit me. (gasps) Why are they similar? Because J.R.R. Tolkien came up with the idea while he was in World War I. Yes. For those of you who don't know, J.R.R. Tolkien's full name is John Ronald Ruel? R-E-U-E-L. Tolkien. Wait, Ruel? That's the other R? That's the other R. (laughs) And he had some time to himself during World War I because everyone had time to themselves during World War I when they were in the trenches. And that's the thing is this movie gives you such an on-the-ground uninterrupted, like, this is the life of a soldier on the ground in World War One. It's incredible, as you're watching the movie, to not immediately think, I want to go watch Lord of the Rings. Because you're going <laughs> to yes. spend the whole time, like, so just a little context. He was in the First World War. He was deployed to France and Calais. He was at the Battle of the Somme. And if I recall, he gets wounded and winds up in military hospitals for the rest of the war after in October 27, 1916, his battalion is attacked and he contracts trench fever, a disease carried by the lice. And he was invalided to England on the 8th of November, 1916, and more or less spent most of the rest of the war going in and out of hospitals. I imagine I would know this a lot more if I actually saw the movie Tolkien. I don't know if you saw that. I have not seen it, but oh, okay. I have it and we should see it. All right. But the... The thing here that is incredible is as you understand more about World War I, the kind of war it was, the context under which it took place, it's actually not that hard to draw parallels and see how World War I paints a world that Tolkien would take and turn into the Lord of the Rings saga and The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And I, I think – well, correct me if I'm wrong. You more or less came up with this idea. <laughs> a lot of what we wanted to talk about today is 
what were the parallels that we saw in the movie that match up to the Lord of the Rings, both as the book and the movie? Yeah, so basically today I just want to explore some of the things we saw in the movie and how they were similar to Lord of the Rings, like how those elements appear in those stories. Yeah, and I think the first one you pointed out to me that you really just enjoyed the most was over the course of this very long movie, there's lots of just walking and talking and folksing, and there's like there's just time in between. It's not like action, 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 saving Private Ryan. There are tanks and guns and like planes. It's just like there's slow beats and walking. Yes, and you can see this in the Lord of the Rings movies, but really this is evident in the books. There's actually a lot of moments in the books where there's downtime and it's the characters are walking and they're talking to each other. They're talking about like nonsense. They're not talking about, I shouldn't really say nonsense, but they're talking about stuff that's not related to the mission of, oh, let's go put the ring in the volcano pit. Like, no, they're talking about random stuff because they have a lot of downtime and they're singing. That's another thing that's big in the Lord of the Rings books is that a lot of the times they're just singing like these random folk tales and other different poems and stuff. And there was some actual singing in the movie. Yeah. The amount of times Aragorn just busts out into Elvish song and I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. (laughs) And then for all of its faults, the Hobbit trilogy, every time the dwarves sing is like magic to me. That's true, yes. I could listen to the Lonely Mountain song like a million times. The other thing that's interesting about that, though, is in 1917, there are like lots of moments where they're just telling each other stories to distract them from the fact that they're walking through no man's land or near something dangerous. Like there's Mm -hmm. that – in case we weren't clear, there are some big spoilers here. First of all, 1917 is about World War One, so if you don't know how it ends, go read a history book and then come back to this podcast. I was about to say, we don't have to spoil anything in the movie, I feel like. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. It's like they're really good conversations in the movie, like them explaining what happened to one of the soldiers where, like, every soldier has that one funny story of that uh, yeah. one guy, that the thing that happened in their battalion. And just, like, Frodo and Sam are always talking to each other like Sam's always talking about like, oh, I would do a thing and someone chased me out of the garden and it was a whole thing. It was like there would be those kinds of stories. But instead of it being like the garden in the Shire, it's this dude was like just really bad at managing his hair products. Yeah. And another credit to the movie 1917 is the reason they're able to get some of this stuff is because of it being a continuous shot. Like the movie purposely did that so you could see the like day span of these characters. And because you're seeing the day span, you're seeing this downtime. You're actually seeing these moments. And then the other thing that is just very interesting across the entire movie is you have these clashing of ideas. Like a big part of Lord of the Rings is you have – The people of Middle-earth, humans, hobbits, dwarves, elves, they're kind of going up against this bigger separate force, right? Yeah. And that exact idea is apparent in the movie because we see the English soldiers, they know that there's like – at one point we run into a Sikh soldier from presumably India. We know that Canadians and Americans did fight on the side of the Allies during World War I. And, of course, they're in France and there's a moment where they run into a French citizen who is more or less hiding in a town. And the entire time there's this one singular force, the Germans, are coming to get them. It's not like all the different people on the German side. It's like Germans are the bad guys. Yeah, and – So I think that is apparent in Lord of the Rings, as you point out, of how you have kind of the good side is all the different – 
all the different races of people and then the bad guys are just the orcs. But what I think that Lord of the Rings, what J.R.R. Tolkien did is that he exaggerated kind of the feelings that were happening during World War One that he was probably feeling because the orcs really in the story, in the Lord of the Rings stories, like they're they're not redeemable at all. Like they're mm-hmm. they're outright bad people. That's how they're written. Like they're not they're not written with nuances to their character. They're just an evil force that's out there trying to take over the world. Yeah, and there's nothing in this 1917 either that makes the Germans feel in any way redeemable because the entire time you see them they're just constantly in conflict with the character. There's no moment where like a German soldier shows them an iota of like nicety. Yeah, there but there are some there's some indications like at least like oh these are people these are just soldiers that are following orders and stuff like there is some indication of that in the movie whereas in World War One, in general like going away from the movie just the actual war I'm sure there were those feelings that would come up of you as a soldier on either side being like yeah the people I'm firing against are just people that mm-hmm. are being told to do this by the higher powers that decided to start this war but that's all that's not in Lord of the Rings that's I think that's purpose not in Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings. Because anyone who has read a lot of history about World War One will have heard of, I think it's called Jeux Noël. It's mm. the very first Christmas of World War One, where even though there was this no man's land, the Germans and allied forces in the middle of Christmas Eve basically came out of the trenches and just hung out. And then, and for some of them, they used it as an opportunity to ambush them. Other ones, it was just a nice night of calm sharing treats sharing like there are lots of stories of soldiers sharing alcohol sharing different sweets or gifts that were given to them and it's like this is weird moment that reinforces that in any war it's just people like those people have no personal vendetta against the people on the other side they're just told to fight there Mm -hmm. and of course the entire point of lord of the rings is this is supposed to be a battle told by the victors And so after the fact, you don't tell them that the guys on the other side were really nice. You tell them, no, they were bad guys and we had to stop them. And there's nothing redeemable about the orcs. But if you've – the equivalent of this is like – I think you've heard of The Last Ring Bearer. Yes. It's a more or less a fan fiction written about (laughs) Lord of the Rings from the perspective of the orcs that makes the orcs out to be very civilized and like these are people who have been suppressed and they're fighting for their independence. They're fighting for their own mm-hmm. industrialization and progress. And these Middle Earthers are just coming to <laughs> take what they've rightfully worked for. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of soldiers in World War One they probably had this mentality that J.R.R. Tolkien put in his Lord of the Rings tale of this mentality of the enemy is just a pure enemy with like no redeeming qualities and stuff because – at least to me and when I'm imagining this, I feel like knowing that is a lot easier to fight someone. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're thinking of them as an actual person <laughs> that you're firing upon, I think it's way easier to like fight a person if they're not even a person. And this I think leads into a bigger part of I think what's going to be the rest of – or at least the next part of this conversation, which is how Tolkien took things that happened to World War One and turned them up to eleven. In order to create the story of Lord of the Rings. For instance, as I pointed out before, you have those different factions fighting together. And it actually shows up in the language. Like the orcs, whenever you hear them talk, they have this very hard, almost sounds like Klingons. Uh, (laughs) They have hard hard consonants. They have very hard sounding words. And that's very similar to the Germans, how Germans speak. If you ever heard German, it 
you could see where those parallels might yeah, come from. Yeah, German's not the prettiest sounding language. Not it depends <laughs> on who you ask. But then vice versa, elves, whenever you hear elves speak, it's like very calm. It's very – it has like a flow to it, very similar to French, some might say. Ah, okay. French and elvish. And then everyone else just speaks English because – they're a man. They just <laughs> speak English like a man should. Okay. And we're not going to get into subjugation of women or anything in Lord of the Rings. That's a separate story. And another thing that they turn up to 11 is the scale of destruction. So in the movie, the Germans, there's a scene where the Germans are retreating. And obviously when you're retreating, you don't want to give your enemy a lot of resources that they can use against you later. So they're killing the cows in these dairy pastures that they're retreating from. They're cutting down trees. They're destroying bridges and roads. And while normally you would see that kind of destruction being very sensical, when we see destruction in Lord of the Rings, it's destruction for the, quote, sake of progress. Uh, okay. So you're drawing parallels to like how the orcs are just like destroying towns mercilessly and merci mercilessly. Mercilessly. Thank you. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, wrecking castles and buildings. Oh, yeah. And obviously when you're trying to progress, like there's also them destroying things for industrialization. So there's like you want to create factories and get steel and make weapons to fight. Destroy the trees. Yeah. Whereas – Normally, we like to think is we don't destroy a forest. We get what we need from the forest to make things for progress. But in Lord of the Rings, it's very much this hungry, deterministic, singular focus of crushing everything that isn't orc or these forces that Sauron is rallying. And that feels very similar to the Germans. Yeah. And I think you also mentioned to me before we started recording about – the similarities in the in like the battles, how they feel, like mm -hmm. kind of the mass amount of people and also very hand-to-hand -hand combat. Yeah. It's really easy to think in a war, especially a war where you have guns, that people are just sitting in trenches shooting at each other. And yeah, that did happen. There were lots of times where you would have snipers. But you have to remember a lot of combat back then was still done with guys jumping out of their trenches, running across no man's land, jumping into another set of trenches, and then stabbing at each other with knives and bayonets. And it's this very visceral, on-the-ground combat. And all the battles you see in Lord of the Rings are very reminiscent of that. It's chaotic. Mm -hmm. Tolkien's approach to explosions always feels more like there's an ogre or something swinging a giant thing. But it's <laughs> yeah. you can draw parallels between his descriptors and cannon fire, mortar shells hitting no man's land or hitting wherever you're trying to run through and just bodies smashing up against each other as two massive armies that at that point just seem like mindless blobs of mass just collapse on each other. Mm -hmm. And it clearly informs a lot of how he approached his descriptors. He's just taking all the things he saw during World War I and cranks them up to 11. But there was one more thing I really wanted to talk about in the movie, which was how much it felt like Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Like I walked out of the movie theater and I was like, I could go watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy now. And it felt like it was – the movie starts with these two guys who are going on a journey to deliver something that every moment that thing is not delivered, lives are lost. Yeah, you really feel the – immediacy of their actions and how like it's very tense the, a lot of the movie is just very tense and like oh no he's got to like they got to get there they got to get there they got to do this because yeah. more people are going to die like the movie immediately starts with these are soldiers like we don't need to give you context it's a war mm -hmm. so all you know is that these guys have to deliver a letter and if they don't deliver a letter 
soldiers are going to do something that they aren't supposed to do and fall into a trap and die. And then Lord of the Rings, it's the ring, right? It's you have to get the ring to Mount Doom because every moment you don't do that, Sauron is amassing his forces and killing people of Middle-earth. And it's, it's, you feel this clock, this, even though there's not an actual countdown, mm -hmm. you feel that the progress of time is a bad thing. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that about the intro because the first book, Fellowship of the Ring, it starts off with a long description of like a history of mm -hmm. the Hobbits and all that. But after that... It does kind of go straight into like action and Gandalf showing up in this whole ring business. Like he really just jumps straight into the tail. I think you told me this. It was in the military. You need to get somewhere fast, but you spend a lot of time waiting there. Yeah, that's a common trope, at least in the U.S. military. I'm sure it's in other militaries of like getting you need to make sure you get you're prepared and you're ready. But then once you get there, you just got to wait for orders. And sometimes that can be a while. So there's actually a lot of downtime in the military. And then the entire like we said before, the progression of the story is very reminiscent. So the guys, they immediately start off and they're they don't know what they're about to face. It's that same feeling of Frodo and Sam crossing into this no man's land where the two heroes of this movie have never seen anything and know they're about to enter an area occupied by bloodthirsty Germans. Yeah, and oddly enough, visually, it reminded me a lot of Lord of the Rings, like of the movies and also of the books and how things are described. The Shire, how that's described, reminded me of like the French countryside and how it was looking. And some of the rivers, they at one point they come across a river and like how the leaves were just reminded me yeah. of like where the elves were. Like it was. It's these entire biomes and microcosms. So there's a scene where this guy's just, he's along the river. He's kind of stuck in the river. And on the riverbank, if you just like remove the guy and I didn't tell you where it was. You could think it was one of the most serene places in the world. And if you took a, like a shot of the Shire, like when they're doing the initial panning shot where Peter Jackson showing us, this is the Shire, and compared it against this shot of just the riverbank and the trees and the falling petals, you would think they were the same place. And those beats are throughout the movie where you see no man's land. It's this very destroyed, chaotic place. It is literally just the remnants of fire and brimstone. If you turn that up to 11, you get Mordor. You get mm -hmm. this place that is just synonymous with death. No one goes there. Yeah, like I can really see how J.R.R. Tolkien developed these sceneries. <laughs> like yeah. Just thinking about, oh, yeah, that's how it would have been like in World War One. Wow, okay. And then another weird thing was when they're, they go into the German trenches, there's a moment where they're kind of in this underground bunker. And it feels not frantic, but it feels chaotic in that they don't know where to go and mm -hmm. supposedly there are no Germans around so they're walking through this underground structure that's been carved out it feels very Mines of Moria where they're walking through and they know that there's danger around but they don't know what it looks like and they're literally in the remnants of people who used to live there even those those people in this case were German and take that up to 11, that's dwarves that used to live in Moria before it was taken over by goblins. <laughs> and there's even a moment where, big spoiler, they set off like a claymore what? in... <laughs> it's scary. It was a crazy scene because you weren't seeing it coming. They set off a claymore and it's that same frantic energy that you feel when they have to run away from the Balrog and the trolls and all that stuff in the mines of Moria. And it, it's just a lot of that. It's just... 
if you take elements from the movie, turn them up to 11, you get Lord of the Rings. And it's very, it's not trivial, but it's understandable to see how he drew the parallels from his experience where you're sitting around for a long time, not sure, unsure of what your future is going to be like. You end up crafting this world. Yeah, I was going to say, going back to my big revelation while watching 1917 is that the reason, like, I'm sure it was not intentional in the movie. Like, oh, we're going to make it seem like Lord of the Rings. Like, no, the reason it's feeling like that is because that was the inspiration behind those tales. And I think that's pretty cool. Yep. Also, the movie was great. Yeah. yeah everyone should see it. <laughs> also, for anyone who doesn't know, there was basically Tolkien's work. It, it was actually iconic for the time. After World War One, when he goes and he writes Lord of the Rings and it comes out, by the Second World War, his stuff is famous. And I don't remember if it was during or after the Second World War, but Christopher Lee, the guy who plays Saruman, actually like came up to him in a bar and like he had like a starstruck celebrity moment with J.R.R. Tolkien and wanted to be Gandalf throughout his acting career. He was like, if they make a Lord of the Rings movie, I want to be Gandalf. And unfortunately, he was not able to do that. But he, I think he played an equally excellent character. Yeah, I, I think Christopher Lee's portrayal is amazing. I loved him. And we can go out on this fun factoid about Christopher Lee. Apparently, when he was on the set of Lord of the Rings... There was a moment where Sauron, spoilers for Lord of the Rings, <laughs> gets stabbed in the back and dies. Christopher Lee was – he was definitely in World War II. I don't remember if he was a spy for the Allies or just a very good high-ranking officer. But effectively, Peter Jackson was like, yeah, I need you to make this sound like, you know, when like you've been stabbed. He's like, don't worry. I know what it sounds like when someone gets stabbed in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So with that in mind, Sam, what would you like to tell us about what you got going on before we go? Well, you can find me on Instagram at lil.baby.banshee. That is L-I-L dot baby dot banshee. Or you can follow my new food blog at thesampler.blog. And as for swaying the small stuff, if you made it this far into the podcast and like learning all these factoids about how history influenced J.R. Tolkien in creating Lord of the Rings or all the other incredible things we talk about on this podcast. I really hope if nothing else, it's okay. If you guys don't want to check out our amazing Twitter at small stuff show, it's okay. If you guys don't feel like you need to hit us up on our discord, it's okay. If you want to take your time and really savor these episodes. But one thing I hope you will do, please, if you're not already subscribe to the podcast, there's a button right in your podcast app, hit subscribe. And if you know a friend out there who would love to learn about these parallels, how's 1917 teach us about Lord of the Rings? What, is it like to be in the trenches and come up with a story that defines so many kids in the future? Please share this podcast with them. Let them know. We want to grow this podcast. We want to hear new ideas and new stories so that we can keep this podcast going and we can't do without your help. Anyway, I'm your host, Cameron Buzar-Jamari. And I'm Sam. Reminding you, from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth... Sweating the small stuff. Oh, the misty mountains call. <laughs> why? Why do you laugh whenever I say?